Father, we come to you uh, knowing that, that you are good, knowing that you are in control, knowing that you care for the hurting and the broken. And so, God, we pray uh, for, for our brothers and sisters, for the people of Haiti, for all who have been impacted uh, by this, this hurricane and the devastation that is, that is just running through uh, that part of the world. God, we pray that you would be with those uh, who are hurting, who are broken, who have lost loved ones. We pray uh, you would be with those who've lost everything that they have. God, we pray that you would mobilize your church uh, around the globe to care, to give, to go, to serve, and to be your hands and feet to bring blessing in the middle of brokenness. God, we pray that you would uh, even show us what that looks like. Would you compel us, not out of guilt, but, but out of grace towards uh, ways that we can be generous to care for those who are hurting and suffering? And we know, God, ultimately you call us to that because it's a reflection of how you've been generous to us, that in our, in our sin and in our brokenness, you didn't withhold yourself, but you gave yourself through your son, Jesus, that he came for us, that he planted his two feet on this earth, and he lived for us, he died for us, he rose for us. So God, help us to live and respond to that truth. And as we turn to your word, would you put that truth of, of the gospel, that truth of Jesus Christ, would you put it on full display in our minds and our hearts as we open up your scriptures? Lord, would you help us to be humble and contrite, trembling at your word, sitting under it, seeking to be mastered by it, not to master it in arrogance, but to submit to it in humility because your word leads us to you. So God, would you come and would you do those things for your glory and for our good? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going to go ahead and read, uh, read our text, Luke 6, 43 through 49, a really famous one that Jesus teaches as he's in the middle of uh, the Sermon on the Plain or the Sermon on the Mount, uh, a large crowd of both the committed, the confused, and the curious. And Jesus has been teaching and teaching and teaching, and he concludes this section of teaching with this parable, Luke 6, 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit, for each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil of treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. I was talking about uh, houses with one of my friends and. He's in, a, uh, at the time, he was living in, in rural Kentucky and uh, didn't have a lot of money. I uh, worked as a pastor at a church and uh, didn't have a lot, but they found this, this, this house in a great up-and-coming part of town, like one of the parts of town where if you said you live there, people were like, wow, you live there? Awesome. So they found a house and it was a great deal. And so they pounced on it. So he and his wife, they get to the house, the real estate agent is there and they pull up and just from the outside, it looks phenomenal. So they're like, oh, this looks so promising. Like, how could this be so cheap? It looks great. So they get inside, and they're looking at everything inside. It looks fantastic. 
and the real estate agent is, is showing them uh, showing them around, and it's a big, it's a real estate agent's big, it's like six six, like just strong, just big, bulky man, and he's showing them around, and uh, the real estate agent's like, man, you know, looks great, but I don't think you guys want this house. And they're like, are you serious? Like this house on this street, this price, like look at this. Look, he's like, I don't think you guys want this house. And he's like, let me show you. So then the six six big strong dude just starts jumping up and down. Boom, boom. And guess what happens? The whole house is shaking. And so as soon as they did that, you're like, you're right, we do not want this house. So the foundation of the house, right, the, the interior of the house was off. And in this passage, Jesus is trying to be like that real estate agent for us. Jesus is so gracious to us he refuses to let people go astray through their own confusion. He wants to lead us to the front step of reality. He wants us to actually understand, what are the foundations of my life? Because just like that house, we might say the right things, we might really do a lot of the right things on the outside, but internally, what is the foundation of our lives? Jesus, the essence of, of this text, we're going to see that if you examine your life's fruit, you will find your life's foundation. If you examine your life's fruit, you will find your life's foundation. And Jesus wants to help us because he doesn't want us to build or trust in or find our significance, identity, or validation in things other than him because they, they won't endure. They won't last. They may be great for a time, but they'll crash down upon us and disappoint. And so Jesus is going to tell this uh, parable. This, he's going to close. Now, keep in mind, he's just been teaching for a long time, and he closes his teaching with basically a reality check. You've heard all that I said. You've heard all of these words, but examine your fruit to find your foundation, because you might think you're building on me, but you might be duped. This is what he says in, in 43 through 46. A good tree bears what? Good fruit. Yeah, let's try to get good tree. A good tree bears. There we go. That's right. All right. A good tree bears good fruit. And what Jesus is teaching here, he's teaching a very simple principle, right? But it's a principle that's lost on us, and it was absolutely lost on his audience. He's saying the external fruit reveals the inner heart. And this is a critical, critical word uh, for people who focused exclusively on internals or excuse me, exclusively on externals, because the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the time, all they focused on was the outside, the outside, the outside, the outside, the outside, the outside. I pray more, I give more, I tithe more, I'm more devout. But Jesus isn't looking for nice people fruit. Oh, you're nice. He's not looking for uh, religious-y fruit. Oh, you do all the church things. He's not even looking for moralistic fruit. Oh, you're very moral. He's looking for fruit that reflects an intimate walk with God. Because here's the reality. You don't need Jesus to be nice. You don't need Jesus to be a good person, humanly speaking. You don't need Jesus to be moral. That's not what Jesus has come to do. Jesus has come to transform us from the inside out to restore us to God and to bring the life of God in us and to lead us into salvation. But there are plenty of nice, good, great people who don't know Jesus. And so Jesus is saying, hey, 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 look for the right fruit and understand that what's on the outside reveals what's on the inside. 
And here's what he's saying. He's, he's saying in this passage that bad fruit is pride and self-righteousness. Good fruit is grace and humility. And here's how we know this. By looking up at the next section. Look at what he says in the section before this. This is verse 37. This is attached to the passage we just read. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, or running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. And here is really what he's getting at with the good fruit, bad fruit, these sections right here in these verses. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. So notice, he's just talked about log and speck, right? He's talking about you're judging people for a speck in their eye when there's a two-by-four sticking out of yours. Common sense would say, take the two-by-four out and then help them with the speck. And who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the devout, he's speaking to the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day. And here's what he's trying to say to them. If you interact with people in such a way that your interactions are marked by self-righteousness, pride, looking down and condescension, you're bearing bad fruit, which means you need to look at the foundations of your life because no person who is trusting in Jesus, trusting in the gospel, can really be walking as a pattern of life and self-righteousness. See, he's speaking to people who are saying, I'm your followers, I'm your disciples, and along with the crowd who's confused and curious, but many are saying, I follow God, I know God, and he's saying, ah, look at the fruit. If you live in self-righteousness, examine the foundation. Do you really know me? See, notice, notice what he's saying. He's, he's, he, this is a favorite uh, passage for people, who, um, for people who want to do whatever they want, right? Because they're going to say, well, the Bible says, don't judge, right? You guys know who Tupac is? Do we know Tupac in our church? Okay, this is very important. Very important. Uh, Tupac, right? Only who can judge me? You guys don't know Tupac. Okay. Only God can judge me, right? Only God can judge me, right? And we go to these passages, we love it. Oh, oh, judge not lest you be judged, right? Right. Jesus is saying, don't walk around in self-righteousness, but he's also saying to, 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 judge, to judge others the way you're going to judge yourself. Take the two by four out before you address the speck. And here's what he's saying. He's saying that humility comes from the gospel because the gospel teaches us we are all broken sinners. And if you understand that you are a broken sinner, you then begin to understand, well, I'm actually the worst sinner I know. And so when I interact with somebody else about the things of their life, I don't do it in self-righteousness because the gospel tells me that I'm worse than them. I know my motives. And so if someone who's really trusting Jesus, walking with Jesus, understanding the gospel, to them... They're the biggest sinner that they know. Therefore, there's no way they interact with others in self-righteousness. They interact with others in humility. Even when they have to correct, even when they have to call out, they do it as somebody saying, hey, I see that speck in your eye, but I see all these two-by-fours in my life. So I'm going to speak the truth to you in love and humility, not in self-righteousness. But what was happening is that it was an an aura of self-righteousness among all of these, these religious leaders and folks at the time, which is why Jesus is saying, don't you see that that's bad fruit? That's why in 45 and 46, he says, for out of the abundance of the what? 
the heart, the mouth speaks. He's talking about how you interact with others. So, so here's a good test for us, is that a heart that has received Jesus' grace extends grace. This is examining your life's fruit to see your life's foundations. Are you marked with grace? doesn't mean you don't have conviction, but are you marked with grace and humility in your interactions with others? Or are you more marked with condescension, self-righteousness? You spend more time thinking about your sin, your flaws, your brokenness, or the sin, flaws, and brokenness of the people around you. That's what Jesus is asking. And uh, if you go with the fruit image, he's telling us you won't see, uh, you won't see figs on a bramble bush. He's, he's basically saying this. He's, he's saying that if the gospel is really touching someone's heart, you're going to see an external change that's coming from the inside out. You're not just going to see moralism. And so when we examine the fruit of our lives, we start to see the root. And when we start to see the root, we might see that our foundation may be off. In fact, you can actually be a Christian, someone who trusts in Jesus' grace alone for their restored relationship to God, who trusts in Jesus' sacrifice alone as their salvation. You can believe that truth, be a Christian, be a follower of Jesus, and yet for a season or a period of life, your foundation can actually be built on something other than the gospel. You can be trusting in your goodness, you can be trusting in other things outside of the gospel. And so Jesus wants us to know our foundation. Go back to the real estate agent. He's jumping in our house to show us that, hey, are you building on solid ground, on the cornerstone, on solid rock, or are you building on something that's flimsy? And Jesus is such a master teacher, isn't he? He's such a great teacher that he's going to give us another story, a word picture that's going to convey this lesson, this essential teaching in a way that no one can forget. This is what he does in 46 through 49. He's going to say the word picture in this way. He's going to speak about a house. He says, if you hear my words and what? Do them. You're like someone who's building a house on a solid rock foundation. If you hear my words and you don't do them, you're like somebody who's building a house without a foundation. And when the storm comes, that house crashes, but this house endures. So here's what he's showing us. He's showing us that how we interact, how we live, our fruit reveals our foundation. And now he's calling us to examine, uncover our foundation. And here are a couple things that we see as he does this. The first thing, notice what he says in, in, uh, in 46. Look at this with me, if you would. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Now, how many of you, when you hear that the first time, you say, ooh, that's kind of harsh, but again, think, think of what Jesus is doing. He wants us to get to the front step of reality. How helpful would it be for Jesus to say, ah, you call me Lord, Lord, but inside in his mind, he's like, You're actually, you actually don't know me at all. That, that wouldn't be helpful. And so he's actually trying to take us to reality, trying to help us by, by shaking us up to see that there is a way that we can be deceived about the foundations of our lives. And so the first thing that we see when it comes to looking at the foundations of our lives is this, is that you can think you're a disciple of Jesus and not be one. That's really the first implication of that verse, right? Because what are the people calling him? What are they saying? What are they calling him? Stranger? Man with a great beard? Lord. Right? What you all say to me, man with a great beard. They're not, they're not even just saying Lord once, they're saying Lord, Lord, which is a sign of intimacy. 
It's a sign of closeness. But Jesus is hearing this, and these people, presumably these people have been following him around, hearing his teachings, maybe, maybe even trying to implement some of them. Right? But, but, but he says to them, you call me Lord, Lord, but you don't, you don't do what I tell you. Lord means master. Lord, Lord, Lord means the one who rules over me. So, so the simplest way that you would follow someone who's your Lord is you would do what they tell you to do. But he says, you guys call me Lord, Lord, as if we're intimate, but, but you really have nothing to do with me. Why, why, do, you, why do you say this? He's trying, he's trying to help them. He's trying to help us. Jesus confronts because he, he cares. And, and here's the reality is that from the beginning of Jesus's ministry all the way to today, 2016, that there are people who look like disciples of Jesus there are people who think they're disciples of Jesus. They can quote the Bible like disciples of Jesus. But in Jesus' all-searching eyes, they're actually duped. They don't, they don't really know him. right? And, and we know this when we think about it, right? It's easy to play the church game. It's easy to play the church game, to come on Sundays, say the right things, say, hi, I'm doing good, I'm blessed, pray for this. God is good all the time, all the time. God is good, right? We can, we can play the church game. It, it's easy. It's pretty easy to do, right? But Jesus doesn't want us to play the church game. Jesus actually wants to have a relationship with us. Where we walk with him, where we know him intimately. But when we say, Lord, Lord, and he says, yes, he wants us to know him and have fullness of life in him. And so he speaks this word to you, he speaks this word to me so that we can see that our foundations are built on him and have the assurance, confidence, and joy of knowing that. So here's the test that Jesus gives, right? He's trying to help people. He's not trying to shame them. He's trying to help them. And here's the test that he gives that these, these folks fail, not all of them, but some of them fail, is that the confession of their mouth, Lord, Lord, is not the reality of their heart. The confession of their mouth is not the reality of their heart, and the fruit proves that the foundation is false. And so the inverse of this is that a person who knows Jesus and is following Jesus is going to build on the foundation of Jesus by doing what Jesus says. So you flip this, to build on the foundation of Jesus is to do what Jesus says. Now you, you might hear that and say, wait, I thought being a Christian is believing in the gospel. It's by grace through faith. Christ's death in my place for my sins, restoring me to God, bringing me into his kingdom now and forever. Yes. But did you know the gospel is actually to be obeyed? And, and here's, here's where we see this. John 6, 29, Jesus uh, says this, the will of the Father is that you believe in the one that he has sent. So one of the first things Jesus is saying is that if you are actually calling me Lord, Lord, you want to be my disciple, the first thing you need to do is actually believe in me. Actually, trust me. Actually, turn from your sin and brokenness and trust in me. Follow me. That is the foundation for life. That is the way to God. That is your anchor, your identity. Build on me. This is how we build on Jesus our foundation. The first thing, John 6, 29, is we build on Jesus our foundation by trusting in him. As our redeemer, as our restorer, as our healer, as the one who brings us back to God through his life, death, and resurrection. The second thing is uh, gospel obedience. In Jesus' mind, if you don't do what he says, you're not his disciple. I know to us, you're like, well, it seems harsh, but that makes sense because you know what disciples would do in those days? What they would do with their rabbis? They would follow them around, and guess what they would do? Everything that their rabbi did and said. They would literally follow someone around and do 
everything that they did. So if your if your disciple or if your rabbi ate in a certain way, guess what the disciples did? They ate in a certain way. If your, disciple ta- if your rabbi talked in a certain way, guess what the disciples did? They talked in a certain way. They dressed in a certain way. They 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 copied it. They had a beard. They copied the beard. They showed up late to everything. They showed up late to everything, right? They just really fly. They dressed really. Right? They would copy everything that their rabbi did. Why? Because they are disciples of Rabbi Blank. And Jesus is saying, you guys are killing me. You guys are calling me Lord, Lord, but you don't do anything that I say, right? It's like calling yourself a Red Sox fan and you just everywhere Yankees gear. People are just like, what are you doing? It doesn't make sense, right? This is the vegetarian. Oh, vegetarian. You see, every time you house, why are you eating steak all the time? This doesn't make any sense, right? This just, just does not compute for him. And so if you're saying you're a disciple of Jesus, and yet you, you don't do anything that he says, or you don't take his words to heart, in Jesus' mind, he's just like, oh, God, we've got to help these people. So he wants to bring us to the front step of reality. So how we build on Jesus as our foundation is gospel faith and gospel obedience. And, 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 he, and here's the thing, right? You think about building a foundation, if you actually take this to building a home, it's hard work, Right? That's not something that you can do on your own. And so when it comes to gospel faith, that's something that that God is calling us to, to turn to Jesus every day and trust in him. But then the continued obedience of walking with Jesus, man, we need help with that, don't we? This is why in the New Testament's eyes, the most important human relationship is not the marriage relationship, but it's the relationship of the church. That when we think of relationships, we think the pinnacle is marriage. But in the New Testament's eyes, the pinnacle of relationship, humanly speaking, is actually the church. It's the spiritual family. This is why Paul in 1 Corinthians 7 is going to put marriage and singleness on the same plane. Why? Because the ultimate relationship, you guys are like, what? That sounds horrible, right? But that because the church is such a life-giving spiritual family. And here's why it's so important for a passage like this is to build your foundation on Jesus. You need help. You need other people's help. Think of it like this. You need people alongside of you with the shovel helping you to dig and build that foundation on Jesus. Think back to what he, he starts us with, right? The, the speck in the eye and the log in the eye. What, he, what he's also partly teaching us is that there are things that we don't see in our lives that are off, and we need somebody to come alongside of us and help us. This is why following Jesus on your own is going to be incredibly difficult. You can't do it. You need the church. You need the spiritual family. This is why we try to do things like gospel communities where you can build friendships and follow Jesus with other people. So I want you to think about it like this. How can you help deepen the Jesus foundation in the lives of people close to you? Maybe it's people in your gospel community, people here at Redeemer, maybe it's your spouse if you're married, maybe it's your friends, right? How can you help deepen that Jesus foundation in the lives of people that are close to you? You think of it like this. When people spend an extended amount of time with you, are they encouraged spiritually towards Jesus? I think one of the best ways to do this, and we'll admit that this can be hard for us, is, is to do soul talk as well as small talk. To do soul talk as well as small talk. And, and have in mind that every time you're, you're talking about the things of Jesus, the deep things of life with somebody, you're using a shovel and you're helping to dig that Jesus foundation with them. 
and asking them to do the same. So, so do soul talk as well as small talk. I literally ask people, you're going to sound like you're from the, the 1700s, but you can ask people, how is your soul? It's one of my favorite questions. People are like, I have a soul? Uh, ask them, how is your soul? How's your walk with Jesus? Are you believing the gospel today? Are you believing God is faithful today? How can I pray for you? You also can, uh, can grow this Jesus foundation through peer-to-peer discipleship. How many of you, when you think of this phrase of discipleship, which is really just a phrase of saying helping somebody grow in spiritual maturity with Jesus, but when you hear discipleship, you're, you probably do, you, you may do like, like I do sometimes, is you think, okay, someone who knows much more teaching someone who knows little. But discipleship can also be peer-to-peer. We're just walking along the same path towards Jesus at the same pace, at the same place. And we need those relationships if we're going to lay a foundation of Jesus in our lives. I want you to hear this quote from, uh, from Gordon McDonald, who actually used to pastor over in, uh, in Lexington. He, he says this, he says, there's a, uh, he's talking about discipleship relationships. He says, there's a certain niceness to a friendship where I can be myself. But what I really need are relationships in which I will be encouraged to become better than myself. Myself needs to grow a little each day. I don't want to be the myself I was yesterday. I want to be the myself that is developing each day to be a more Christ-like person. Hear what he's saying? He says, I don't want to be the same myself I was yesterday. I need friendships where people are helping the myself that was yesterday to become more and more like Jesus day by day. He's saying, I need somebody next to me to help with the shovel, dig the foundation upon Jesus. And and how we do that is we do soul talk as well as small talk. We ask good questions. We take initiative. We care for the spiritual good of the people around us. But I want us to also recognize that Jesus is not just inviting us into that. He's also giving us a really bold statement with this imagery of the house, the rock, the foundation, and the storm. Jesus is saying this. He's saying, all people need to build their life on me. I am the way that you're restored to God, and I am the one who can endure the storms. This is a bold claim. I love reading the Bible with my friends who are exploring Jesus because they just say whatever they're thinking. And one of my friends, which is so fantastic, we should adopt that posture, right? Just say what we think. Um, One of our friends just says uh, this about Jesus, that Jesus, we're reading Gospel of John, one of them says, Jesus is wonderfully arrogant, which I thought was so apt. It's like, yeah, you're, you're actually really understanding the God, like what Jesus is saying. It's like, yeah, he's saying some things that make him just look like, who are you to say this? But he's saying it because it's, it's true. And here's what he's teaching. He's saying that everyone builds on a foundation, trusts in something, someone, some object, objective for purpose, meaning, identity, and righteousness. But only one foundation can endure the storms of life in a broken and imperfect world, according to Jesus. And that is a life that is anchored in him by faith in the gospel. And then the obedience that flows out of that grace. This is the third thing he shows us, that false foundations falter in the storms of life. And Jesus has penetrating insight into the human soul, human experience. He's going to say, all these other foundations you trust in are not going to satisfy. Jim Carrey also has great wisdom, and he says this. He says, I think everyone, right? You like that. Everyone should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed so they can see that it's not the answer. What's Jim Carrey? Now, now he's, he doesn't follow Jesus. He's got his own, his own thing, right? But, but he's touching on this very same teaching that there's foundations that we build on that really are not going to give us what we're hoping to get. Jesus would adapt Jim Carrey's quote to include everything, right? Success, marriage, happiness, money, family, that degree, sex, pleasure, popularity, reputation, 
comfort, control, these foundations we try to build on. They will not give us what we want. And guess what? They won't even endure through the storms of life. I want you to think about this, right? What happens, think about this with me, what happens if tomorrow you get every, you get that thing that you want so badly? Where, where will it lead you? And maybe you're waiting to hear application from this school. Maybe you're waiting to get this promotion. Maybe you're trying to get this house. Maybe you're trying to get your kids to sleep through the night. Like what happens, that degree, your boss to get off your back? Finally have enough money so you're not scraping by every month, right? What happens if you finally get that thing that you hold so dear, you get it tomorrow? What happens? How long is that going to last? How long is that going to endure? How long until there's another thing that you just want with all of your heart? Right, think about this. Think about if success at work is your foundation, that thing you are going for. You may not say it's your foundation, but we look at your life and you say, man, that is your foundation. That is your hope. That is your everything. What happens if you get it? Guess what? When you're gone, they're not going to name the building after you. When you're gone, they're going to replace you and someone else is going to have your job. Someone else is going to have that op. Someone else, right? These things are not going to endure through the trials of life. Think of even our money. How many of you, when you get a little bit more money, when you get payday and you, you check your, 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 uh, your account on your phone, and you realize like, ooh, that just went up. You just feel a little bit more secure. Anybody do that? I do that all the time. I'll admit it. I'm just like, oh, okay. Oh, we're in the positive. Okay. All right. Things are looking great, right? It just feel like there's a little bit more security. I got a little bit more money, right? But I know what can happen, right? We know what can happen. One letter from the IRS, you're just like, oh, that's gone. Right? That savings is cleared out. One thing can happen, and those foundations just crumble. We know that. And yet we know that, but we still don't take Jesus at his word. So Jesus is drawing us, trying to help us. And one of the implications is that spiritually alert people know not only that false foundations are what we turn to, but spiritually alert people know specifically what their false foundations are. What is the false foundation you often build your life, your hope, your identity, your righteousness, your purpose on? The spiritually alert people know. They know like this. Man, these are the three things. If I'm not careful, I just start digging over here and rooting my life on these things. What are the false foundations you can end up trusting in? You see, whatever our false foundations are, the storms of life have a way of just crushing them at certain points in times, right? Isn't that funny? So, so think of like this. If, you, if your foundation is that I'm a good, conscious, moral, uh, uh, progressive, thoughtful person, one of the storms of life that will come your way at a certain point is when you realize like, wow, some situation will happen. You'll say something. You realize like, I did not know I was capable of that. And what happens is your image of yourself gets totally undercut. Or maybe your foundation is, well, I'm a really devout Christian, and then you have this huge moral lapse, or you struggle, step into this huge sin, and you, just what's undercut is this foundation of, I'm a great moral disciple. And you're just undercut. You're leveled. Right? Maybe your, your, uh, your false foundation is your reputation, and then you get slandered by a group of friends, and you just undercut. 
your reputation is, uh, or your, your false foundation is success at work and you lead the project and for the first time in your career, the project tanks. And you get that constructive criticism that most people can handle, but because your foundation is your reputation, one person says, that was good, but, and you just break down into tears. You can't even handle it. The storms of life have a way of undercutting our false foundations, but I want you to think, I want you to change your perspective because of what Jesus teaches. What Jesus is teaching here is he's teaching us that the false, or the, the moments when our false foundations get, get crushed by the storms of life are actually a gift from God. Not that God is doing evil in the world or bringing harm, but that actually God can use them as gifts. They can become what I like to call painful mercies. You know why? Because when a false foundation crumbles, you actually see yourself and things for what they really are. It's only when you have the pain from being slandered that you realize, wow, I was living for my reputation. It's only when you fail morally as a disciple of Jesus do you realize, like, wow, I was actually trusting in how good I am for my identity. It's only when a relationship with a friend, boyfriend, girlfriend, or something goes sideways, you realize, I was depending on that. It's my source of love and hope. So it's actually in the storms of life when our false foundations crash that we're actually being helped so that we can turn more deeply to the true foundation that will not let us down. One example of this is in the Bible is the Apostle Paul. You guys remember him? The Apostle Paul? Think of this, right? The Apostle Paul spends his whole life devoted, studying, learning, memorizing in the school of Judaism. At least 30 years. At least. He's the premier Pharisee religious person up and coming in his faith, in his region. He's the LeBron James of Judaism. I don't know what to give an, a parallel to that. So if you don't know LeBron James, I just thought I'd rack my brain. I was like, Bill Gates? And I was like, that won't work. Um, but he is the up and coming. He is the star. He is the, he, he's the one. He's the prodigy. He's the Rhodes Scholar, right? He is, he is that person. And then the storms of life undercut his foundations. He comes into a face-to-face -face encounter with Jesus, and he realized, I've built my life on what I do instead of the grace and mercy of Jesus alone. And guess what he has to do? Guess what happens? He turns his back on all of that. He says this in, in a... It says this in Philippians 3, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You see what he's saying? 30 years. How many of you guys have worked on something for 30 years? Right, what you're seeing this church plant, this church plant right now, this is five years of prayer and work and tears that many of you have put in. Although it's only been going for two, it's five years of that right? So I just think in my mind, wow, what if I came back next week and this thing was gone? Like, that would crush me. But 30 years? Gone. And yet he says, I count all that as loss. The language is stronger. I count it as rubbish. I count it as dung. I count it as nothing because the foundation that I have, the one I have now is so much better. It's because he's come face to face with Jesus' grace, Jesus' love, 
Jesus' mercy. So understand this, that when you trust in the gospel, you're actually anchoring yourself in Jesus by faith. You can endure the storms of life. The bad, the bad news phone call, the hard day at work, the thing that goes sideways. The other thing that Jesus is speaking to is not only the storms of life, but he's speaking about God's judgment. When he speaks about storm, he's, he's paralleling on God's judgment that there will be a day when we're all accountable before God. And this obviously, God's judgment, God's wrath, it's not a, not a popular thing. It's not a thing that you guys probably put on t-shirts and, and say, celebrate, right? But the Bible speaks positively of that because it, it vindicates God's holiness and his love for his creation, that he will actually hold us accountable for what we do. It's clearly taught by Jesus, the whole scriptures. But God's judgment is not off-the-cuff temper tantrum. It's principled. It's controlled. He detests sin. He responds accordingly. He doesn't go overboard. He doesn't compromise. He responds accordingly. He detests insults to himself and to people made in his image who've been harmed. He responds rightly, and, and our sense of justice derives from him. And what God is showing us here, what Jesus is showing us, why he's speaking so bluntly is he doesn't want anyone to have to come face to face with the judgment of God apart from him. Jesus says, hey, don't just say I'm your Lord, trust in me because I'll save you. I'll restore you to God. I'll shower you in God's mercy because of my sacrifice on the cross in your place saying, anchor yourself to me. There's a house in, a famous home in Rhode Island, the Clingstone House. Any of you heard of that? It's famous for its uniqueness, and here's its uniqueness. It's on a rock in the middle of a bay. So it's just this house and this giant rock all around water. And when it was built uh, uh, in 1904, uh, Philadelphia Press said this, everyone is of the opinion that the owner will not stay in this house more than one season before a nor'easter storm levels it. So it's just this house is like, why is this house in the middle of a bay where something is just going to come, storm's going to come, it's just going to crash and it's going to be gone? But here's what happens with the house. 1938, giant hurricane, thousands of storms leveled, swept into the sea. One house stands, the Clingstone house. So you can go today and see it. You see this house on this giant rock, this big thing that has endured the storms. What Jesus is trying to tell us is that if we anchor ourselves to him in faith, we don't have to worry ever about the storm of God's judgment because Jesus is the rock who's already taken it. That the whole essence of the gospel is Jesus coming, dying upon a cross. He's taking on the cross. The agony that he's enduring is not physical, it's spiritual. He's taking the weight of God's judgment of, of, of the sins of his people. He's absorbing that all. He's enduring that storm so that those who trust in him, anchor themselves in him, would never, ever have to endure that because it's already happened to Jesus in their place. Isaiah 53 describes it like this. The, the chastisement was put upon him and it brought us peace. So don't, don't, you see, don't you see God's love for you? That he would take the initiative, the forethought, the planning, the steps towards you when you were not considering him to send his son to take the penalty we deserve so that we can be restored to God, but also we can be spared from building our lives on false foundations that will let us down. See, if we minimize God's just judgment, we actually undercut his love. What did it cost for him to redeem us? What did it cost for him to save us? Why did Jesus die? 
But if we understand that God is pure and holy and holds us accountable, then we see how much it costs to love us, that it costs him everything. God actually is love when we understand his just judgment. If we remove his judgment, he's not love. He's just blah. He's just bland. He didn't do anything to save us. We were just there, and he was there, and he high-fived, and we high-fived, and then we kept it moving. But if we understand, look at what it cost him to love me. Look at what he's done for you. That's right there for the taking. Then we see everything. So here's what Christ is calling us to. He's calling us to build our our identity, our hope on him right now, today, this week, to dig deep into Jesus by faith and then by following what he says. That there's one who gives himself in sacrifice for us. That there's one who endures the judgment we deserve so we can be free from the false foundations that will only crumble and let us down. That's the good news Jesus is trying to take us to. He is better than the real estate agent just showing us this house won't work. He's the one who says, build on me. Look to what I've done. I've done it for you. So let's take a moment to respond in, in silent prayer. I want to encourage you as we, as we do this to, uh, to just reflect and ask God uh, silently, God, what, what, what do you have for me from this, from this text? How are you calling me to respond, God? If you're here, you're not sure what you believe, I encourage you to ask Jesus, Jesus, if you are real, reveal yourself to me. So take a moment to pray silently and I'll lead us in a time of prayer aloud. God, we thank you that you are not just love in talk, but your love in action. That you've sent your son Jesus for us. That he's come, that he's lived the life that we cannot live, he's died the death we deserve, and he's risen from the grave victorious. We thank you, God, that when all other systems believe tell us to work our way to you, you come down to us with mercy and grace. We ask for your help that you would uh, both give us the, the painful mercy of just showing us where our false foundations are, the things that we turn to uh, to give us meaning, to, to give us identity, to give us hope, and, and would you uproot us from those because they don't give life, they don't endure, they don't save. And then would you root us deep in Jesus by faith, and then out of that faith in responding in obedience to, to your word and to his teaching. Would you... Help us to dig um, Jesus' foundation in one another's lives alongside of each other. Which help us grow as a spiritual family, uh, welcoming people, walking with people, and pointing them to Christ. We thank you for your mercy in Jesus that covers our sin. We thank you for the truth that there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Would you allow us to rejoice uh, at that great truth and at the truth of what Christ has done for us? We pray these things in his name. Amen.